Welcome to the Just Write Show, where you'll explore the world of the written word, from books to blogs, sales copy to screenplays, emails to essays, and everything in between. You'll discover the tips, tricks, and tactics the most successful writers in the world use every day. And now, here's your host, Travis Cody. Welcome to another episode of the Just Write Show. This is Travis Cody, and today joining me is Leanne Kabat. She's an international speaker and author of the five seasons of Connection Collection. The five seasons take us into those crucial minute-by-minute interactions where we draw closer together or pull further apart. Her first book is for parents, her second book for entrepreneurs, and her newest release out September 1st is for those in love relationships. She developed the five seasons framework as a result of a medical diagnosis in 2006 that gave her just five years to live. Challenging her to connect with her favorite people and deepest passions in a very intentional way. One of those passions is traveling, and she set a goal to visit 50 countries before she turned 50. And in January, her family returned from country number 49. Leanne, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so excited to have you here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to, Travis. Thank you. One of the things I love about talking with writers and especially discussing books is when a book is birthed out of some sort of personal transformation. So your first book was The Five Seasons of Connection to Your Child, correct? That's correct, yeah. All right. Will you share a little bit of the story behind how that came about? Because it's fascinating. Yeah, of course. Um, So I'm Canadian. You might pick that up in some of my talking. And we had just moved to Seattle in 2006. We had been here a couple of weeks. It actually was the darkest, rainiest winter on record the year we moved. <laughs> so there was no park playdates. You know, I was not out roaming the neighborhood. I was really home with my two toddlers and I was pregnant with baby number three. My husband was sent to California to do some training for so, his job. So they move you across yeah. the country to another country <laughs> in the dark, dirty thing. And then your husband says, peace out. I'll see you later. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. You're good with the baby and you know, you're good with the pregnancy and the two little ones. And I'm like, sure, we Don't will give birth until I get yeah. back. We'll be okay. <laughs> Pretty much. And so he left, everything was great. And one of the evenings while I, I just felt really tired and I went to bed at seven 30 with the two toddlers and I just, we all fell asleep together. And I woke up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom as pregnant people do And as soon as I stood up, I collapsed on the floor and I fell frozen for five hours and I couldn't move. I couldn't scream. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. I just laid on my tummy on the baby, panicked, begging, negotiating with the universe, you know, selling my soul. Like, what do I need to do to be able to move off the floor? And I could watch the time ticking. So I knew I was there for so many hours. And at some point I just surrendered to lying there but I was always afraid that the kids would wake up and see me on the floor frozen. Sometime just before seven, I was able to move. Like the heat flooded me. I started to spin. I had this massive vertigo attack and um, I just got really hot and flushed and I was able to move. So I got the kids up. I put them in the van. I typed in hospital in the GPS and off we drove. And that started this, you know, kind of medical journey for eight months And then in November of 2006, they called me back into the hospital and they said, look, we've done all of these tests and we don't know what you have, but looking at all the data, we know it's going to kill you. 
It's like, what? So one, that's just kind of crazy. We don't know what you have, but you're dying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We know wow. that you will stroke out or you will have these, you know, various conditions and you will die. And I just said, when? Five years. So at first I was in complete denial and my birthday that year happened to fall on American Thanksgiving day. And so it just, you know, I just remember in the hospital panicking and crying and just, you know, all of these turkey decorations everywhere. But to me, it was like, oh my gosh, after Thursday, I have four more birthdays and four more Thanksgivings with, you know, with my family. And I spent the next couple of years dying. You know, I was mentally dying. I was emotionally dying. And I was not being the kind of mom that I wanted to be. I was really angry and I was bitter and I was annoyed and just everything was irritating. And I was sick, right? I still had the condition that put me in the hospital in the first place. So I was, you know, challenged in that way. So it was, and I didn't have friends. I didn't want to make friends because I thought, why would I bother? I'm dying. (laughs) So it really became this really dark and stormy, you know, emotional place for me. But I just remember deciding that if this was my last day, that the kids were going to remember me as kind of this monster mom that I was just so shame filled to be. And it really set me on this new trajectory of how do I be the best mom I can be with what I have? I'm not going to be what, you know, this woman has, I can't be what that mom has, but how can I be my personal best today? And I started developing this framework unbeknownst to me, and it just really grew into the five seasons of connection. So it was a way like a very simple way for me to kind of check myself and see where I was. So if, you know, I was being angry or irritated or snarky or impatient, oh, I was in winter. Okay, what do I need to do when I'm in winter? Well, I spring clean. So I work my way through some strategies to spring clean whatever the winter cause was. Um, and then we get to summer, right? And my goal was always to get to summer. What is summer? It is the best it could be in that moment. What was the kind of promised land in my relationship with my kids? And then if things started slipping or the kids, you know, kind of push some buttons or I lost track of my patience, I was sliding into fall. And so that's the four seasons that we all recognize from living in this world. The fifth season, though, was kind of the power season that I created to really keep me on track. And I call it the crossroads. And it really is in that moment where you can either snark and bark at your kids or, you know, kind of really come in with an iron fist, you know, you're going to end up in winter. Or do you kind of come with space and grace and love and compassion and patience and empathy and guide them back to summer? And it really started changing everything. Um, So obviously my relationship with my kids completely transformed with this philosophy because I wasn't coming in any kind of, you know, controlling or, you know, kind of manipulating way. I was really just coming from a place of love and partnership. And so we have this really unique relationship and that just extended this philosophy into other parts of my life. So I started to write about my struggles being an entrepreneur. And as a writer, we think, oh, we write, but we're also entrepreneurs, right? And there's the marketing of the, of the word and the business of the word. And that is a totally different beast. And so creating the five seasons of connection to your business brilliance really tapped into 
you know, what am I afraid of and what holds me back and what pushes me into those dark winter storms of doubt and anxiety and fear? And then what is, what is summer in my work? You know, what is the best it can be? Um, and then the third book, which just came out, really just took it back into my family and it looked at my love relationship. You know, I have a husband, we've been together 29 years and there have been definite seasons of summer and there have been massive blizzards in our relationship over the years. And so just kind of deconstructing what my philosophy can do in a love relationship allows you know, other people to kind of find themselves in what season they're in and spring clean their way back to whatever they define summer as. So it's really just been this gift of helping me live, you know, with a chronic condition, with all of these hopes and dreams, with a busy family of three kids and find my, you know, find my personal way. Mm. So when you we're starting to put the philosophies together and connecting with your children. At, at what point in that process did you start to realize that what you had needed to be turned into a book? So I had visited my sister in Toronto one, one week in March, and I would go up for a business conference every year, which was really an excuse to see her. You know, I miss my family. I'm very far from them. And so this conference was a way that I would, you know, I could feel okay with leaving my family, leaving my kids and going up and spending time with my family of origin for a week. And she's a kindergarten teacher. And so she was at work one day and I just sat there and I had had many conversations, you know, kind of with the universe or with God or, you know, with whatever energy is around me. And not all of it was, you know, the kind, loving Leanne you might see, right? I was angry and I was upset and I felt lost and stuck and you know, just things felt unfair at various points. And so in one of these particularly sad moments, I really just, you know, kind of not crying in terms of like liquid crying out of my eyes, but just really calling out into the universe. Like if you are keeping me here, then, you know, give me some help, give me some guidance, give me a light, give me a path, give me something. I, I can't fight to live if I just feel like I'm stuck in this fog. And this idea literally flooded through me like a fire hose. And I grabbed my book and I started writing really small, like, you know, people who can write on grains of rice, like super tiny writing, because I didn't want to run out of space in my book for all the thoughts I had. Oh, wow. And I just outlined the whole thing that afternoon, like the entire book, the entire philosophy, what kinds of things I need to spring clean a relationship with children. You know, what do I need to heal my own? you know, my own in relationship with myself as a child, you know, like who was I as a little girl and how do I need to heal those things to kind of connect better in a, you know, in a kind of an adult way with my own kids. And it just was everything. And I sat back exhausted and kind of huffing and puffing about like just that whole process of this inspiration. And, and there it was, it, I, I did not struggle for years with it. It literally came through me in a moment. So, um, so but that was the outline in the structure yeah. book, or did you write write the whole thing out no, right then? No, that was the outline in the structure and what things would be called and what topics go where. And it was really like a wireframe of the whole book was so that moment. Then what was the writing process for once you got done with that? Were you able to just clearly see like, oh, this is exactly, and you were able to just kind yeah, of sit down and it go? was exactly that. All three of my books were written within, you know, three to four weeks. I just, you know, I gathered my research and 
they are research intensive books. I don't want to just talk about, I mean, nobody in the books actually knows about my medical crisis and I don't talk about myself very much at all. It's very much pulling from research and, you know, kind of the common thinking of the day in terms of whatever topic I'm talking about. So there's a lot of research in there, but it is kind of fed through the filter of what season you're in. And then what other elements do you need in your life to have in place to get towards where you say you want to go? Because I'm not ever going to define success or happiness or, you know, anything for anybody. You get to define that for yourself. But um, the book really writes itself, which is why I feel, you know, so honored and blessed, but also responsible to get the message out because it really came through me. You know, it didn't, it, I didn't slog through it for years, dragging it around. Right. Well, what I love about this though, as well, is that most people that, that they have clarity about something and then they sit down and say, okay, I, I know I need to write this. And then they're immediately mm -hmm. sort of beset by self-doubts and fears. I think most people would be like, I don't know how to write a book. Now I need to go study that or I need to hire a coach or how am I going to publish? And like, none of that went through your mind. You were like, oh, here's this outline. And then you, and a month later, yeah. you've got your book. So how did, what was the, your journey then from getting that book you know, out in the world, published, laid out and in, in, in live in the world? I think one of the greatest gifts, this brain condition which I still have, right? So, I mean, it's a gift that keeps on giving in that way. But one of the greatest gifts it gave me is the ability to push through no matter what, right? I don't have time to sit and think, am I good enough, right? I don't have time to sit. I don't have the luxury of saying, well, maybe next year when I save up, you know, $800, I can go hire that coach and then start the process. I don't, I don't feel like I have that luxury. I don't, I don't have time on my side that way because I still have the condition that even though it didn't kill me in five years, what if it's 15, right? That's next year, right? My 15th anniversary is next year. So I never choose to wait until I'm ready. I really just feel like if the inspiration hits, that's my signal that I'm ready. And so even if it's terrible, I write. Even if it's messy, I write. Even if it doesn't make sense, I write because I, you can't edit a blank page, right? So once things are down and you kind of have a linear flow of where you want it to go, then you can always, you know, kind of work through the smaller bits and you can move things around or tweak things because you know the destination. For me, the destination was getting this book, you know, with all the five seasons explained with all the elements of awareness explained out into the world. So when I had that goal set, um, I was really just working towards that, how I felt about, you know, being an expert enough. Like I'm definitely not an expert enough because there are people way more qualified to talk about parenting than me. Um, but I put that aside and said, if I can add to the conversation, you know, it's more like a buffet, right? Like you go to a restaurant and you get served, you know, a piece of meat and a vegetable. And you're like, that's awesome. That's the chef special. Okay. Well, I'll, you know, great. But you go to a, an actual buffet where there's hundreds of choices and there's lots of things that you don't necessarily eat, but somebody else might. Right. So I just really saw my book as being part of the buffet of, you know, experiences and philosophies and thought leadership in this area um, that it contributes to somebody. And 
And I just really went with that. I didn't expect to be the, you know, I'm not setting myself up to be the greatest of anything. I'm just like, I'm just contributing to the conversation. And when you take the pressure off yourself to be all that, you can really be you and bring your brilliance and your, you know, your unique ideas and your, you know, your stories and anecdotes and the way you understand things to the world. And I really think that's what we need is just to hear more perspectives and, and consider things from other points of view, especially, you know, in this climate where it feels super polarizing, you're either A or B, you know, there's so many other letters of the alphabet, let's hear more voices. So I just, I never put that pressure on myself. And I, I think that's what, if I didn't have this brain condition, I could very well fall into that because I'm a super type A person, but <laughs> um, I just, I don't have that luxury of time. So I just crank it out and say, you know what, if I, if I die, will it have made a difference that, you know, everything was perfect or would it have made a difference that one family was, you know, was impacted or my children saw that I fought till the end or that I, you know, I did my best to leave a legacy of love. Like what matters? And yeah, well, I, when I work with other, away. when I work with other authors, I always talk about how. Um, cause I I'm very type a very perfectionist. And it was by, by the time I finished my second book, mm -hmm. <laughs> if you are perfectionist, like one of the cures is to write a book because by the time you get through the process, like my very first book we had, let's see, uh, there was two main editors. Okay. And then I sent it out to, I think 12 different friends and family who, you know, gave them the word manuscript and they went through it with a red pen and marked everything wow. up. So, you know, we had, what is that? 15 different sets of eyeballs on this manuscript over the course of a year. And then when mm. we published it on uh, uh, by, by the third page, I'd caught three typos. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're just like 20 people look at this. <laughs> ah! <laughs> so and now I have this thing where it's a, uh, it, I, I try to, I strive for perfection in all other areas of my life. And with my writing, I'm like, yeah, it's good enough. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's good enough to go for now. But I, I think there's, it's what you said. I, one of my books, my third book um, was one of my favorite reviews for one of my books, I, a review on Goodreads. And the person was talking about the, <laughs> the book and, and she was, she was like, oh, about this and this and this. And then the comment that really got me because I'm a writer was like, eh, the book's not really that well written. <laughs> kind of like, ah, oh. I'm like, well, I still got a three-star review. Okay, that's fine. So a week later, I get an, an alert that's like, hey, your review's been upgraded to four stars. Hmm. So I go back in and then it's like, update. So over the past week, I found myself going back to this book again and again and applying mm. those principles into my life, and I'm seeing a difference. So I'm upgrading my review to four stars, but it's only four stars because it's still not that well written. <laughs> and I, I laughed and laughed. I was like, what would I rather be known for? Like the, the, the book that wasn't very well written yeah. that, that changed your life or the book mm -hmm. that was amazing, but eh. Yeah. And so I think this whole concept of just allowing yourself to be good enough is remarkable. So in this process, so, so you, the first book came out, you got it published, you started working with it. How, what was the time frame from then before you realized that, oh, this applies to business. Maybe I should write a book on business. So I released the five seasons of connection to your child in February. And the day after I published the book, I hopped on a plane and went to Iceland with my sister. 
And I it's really a good way to celebrate public right. finishing your book. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get those countries it's in. Right? It's out. Got to go. Yeah. Right. And so I really didn't honor the journey after the publication, right? I was really like, I put it out there. I did my part universe. Now you take care of things. <laughs> and we're traveling around Iceland and this, you know, we would meet various people. And one woman said, oh, you know, what do you do back home? And my sister said, oh, I teach kindergarten. And this is my sister. She's an author. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And, you know, <laughs> Dorothy pulls out my book and she's like, Leanne, you literally have a book in my hands with your name on it. Like, what is it going to take? And I had some, I don't, I don't think it was imposter syndrome, but it just felt like this can't be real. Like it, everybody could do this. Like this is nothing special. Um, but it was really in the process of getting through the second book. So the second book came out in November of that same year. And just working through the summer, I started to realize, oh, wait a minute, you know, me trying to just publish and move on is still, you know, kind of a dis like a, a disconnection strategy of not owning it. So if somebody rejects it, I can really say, yeah, actually, I didn't care that much about it either. You know, I really kept a distance and I wasn't that emotionally tied to it, even though I was so super proud of it. So it was just a journey of what is ownership and what is owning the words that you say and the responsibility of the things that you put out actually impacting people. And so through the second book, I, I really felt myself being a writer, you know, as opposed to the first one, I wrote a book, you know, but it was the journey of just kind of saying, Leanne, you're writing this book and somebody is going to pick it up and they are going to be hurting and they're going to be sad and they're going to think they're a failure what do you want to say to that person? Like you have this, you have this audience of people who want to know how to get out of the dark, how to get out of the winter. How are you going to get them out? And so it just really hit me as this profound responsibility. Whereas the first one was really, I want to be a better mom for my kids and I hope it helps other people. But something switched between the first book and the second book that made me feel like, you know, this isn't my family reading this book. These are these are people who are hurting all over the place and I, I want to guide them well. Um, and then that just really continued. So now I really say I'm an author, right? With book number three, but it was a journey. Like I didn't own it at first. And I think it was partly, you know, just this denial that somebody like me could write, you know, a series of books like this. You know, I'm just a simple person with a brain condition in the middle of the Pacific Northwest. Like, who am I when I look at the greats, you know? And, that, that's your memoir right journey. there. That's your life story. <laughs> just a person with a brain condition living in the Northwest. <laughs> yeah, no joke. So it's, yeah, it's, a, you know, being a writer, I mean, you have to put it out there more than people think you do. Right. So Leanne, because, I just have to stop and, and acknowledge something right here. You're the first yeah. person and author that I've ever met who quite literally had brain fog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so horrible. Only an American will take someone's crippling brain disease and make a joke about it. Oh, God, and writers have, are awful. Oh, my God. I have images too, Travis. So I look at it. I'm like, oh, no, I literally have brain fog. <laughs> That is that that's, that's at least a blog a blog quote quote. I have yeah. I, I have brain fog and I have the brain scans to prove it. Yeah. <laughs> I have not tapped into that yet. I really need to up my game. You are you are so right. There, there's a yeah. there's a marketer I know who's quite the partier back in the day, and uh, he, he 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 something happened and he ended up going and he had 
some brain scans and the doctor was like, man, there's all this stuff going uh, on in your brain. And he's like, I just really don't understand what it is. And the guy, and he just immediately looked at him and said, doctor, he's like, you know, when, when you, you consume high amounts of alcohol for an extended duration, I think sometimes there's side effects. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so now he now he likes to go around with this thing. Yeah, he goes around with his his brain scans, being like, "Nope, I told you I have brain damage. It's real." <laughs> oh my gosh! I yeah, I mean, you could make them wallet size and everything. There's so many opportunities here. It's just that's your business card, just to scan in your brain. <laughs> I have brain. I have brain fog, and I still have written five books. What's your excuse? That's right. Yeah, I should definitely put that on my business card. <laughs> <laughs> so what? So was the second book. Did it come to you sort of in the same fashion where you were just sitting down and sort of thinking about it and the, the, the outline just sort of presented itself or did that one take a little bit more work? I think that's the beauty of having a framework, right? So we talked about that at the beginning of creating this collection of, you know, this body of work that follows a formula. And I mean, I've had to formulize a lot of things in my life just to remember where my things are, like, where do I need to be? And where are my keys? And, you know, more than other people, like, where are my keys? Like, I literally could have put them anywhere. Um, so I just had to create a lot of, you know, very firm structures in my own personal life. So me taking the first book and saying, okay, what were the, what were the topics? What were the titles? What were, what was the structure? And now I'm ripping out all the family stuff and I'm putting in all the entrepreneur stuff in its place. All right. We're not going to talk about family values, but you know what? We're going to talk about purpose, mission, vision, and value statements for a corporation, right? So it was kind of a one-to-one switch in some way. And if you've read all three of my books, you'll know that, you know, there's a formula and I follow it. And the first editor I had was really... um, amazing. And she just said, that's a terrible idea. And I said, but wait a minute, like chicken soup for the soul has a formula and the seven habits of highly effective people have a formula and the five love languages has a formula. Like, why can't I have a formula? And she's like, yeah, but they were, you know, these famous people. And I just thought, oh, (laughs) well, they weren't always. Why do you think they're famous? They have formula. Yeah. Just thought, okay, you're not my person. You know, you're not, you, you don't get me. And I am, you know, the person who reads my family book possibly will never read any of the other books that I write. So I'm okay with using this formula. And I really had to ground myself and anchor myself in, in what I meant. And what I wanted was to get these books out. So the process to me came pretty quickly because I, I know my formula like the back of my hand. And so, um, you know, I really just took everything out that didn't fit, put everything in that needed to be there and then read through it and said, you know, just said, are all the right things here? If I'm stuck in winter, if I'm in a blizzard in my business, if I'm, you know, knocking on the divorce court door, is everything I need in this book? If it is good, I'm going with it. And if it's not, then I add it in or I decide it wasn't important in the first place. Um, but I do more speaking, you know, than some authors do. So if I don't have something in one of my books, but maybe I should have, or maybe I've realized it should have been there, I'll just add it in as a talking point. Um, so it, I just, I feel like it's a flexible starting place for me. It isn't, you know, it isn't restrictive in any way. It really is a launching pad for how I want people to live their life right? Yes, winter is going to come. Yes, storms will happen. Yes, things, terrible, terrible things can happen. And you can get out of it and let's create the plan out. 
And um, to me, that really is just, you know, the ultimate gift of giving people things to think about. They might not use any of the strategies in the book, totally fine by me. But if you recognize that when you're barking at your partner and you're, you know, really laying in on them and things are really conflicted in your love relationship, if you can check yourself and just say, oh, wait a minute here. Oh my God, I'm in winter. Your brain will automatically say, what do we need to spring clean? How do I need to fix this? What do I take ownership for? So just putting the framework out as a mental model has been my driving force for sure. Um, so I think that to me is the legacy of creating a collection of books is that it really does create opportunities to have the mental model fit different demographics. So more people start using your language and, you know, kind of understanding your philosophy. Well, I think that message is more important now than ever, because there seems to be a certain generational segment who, when you speak with them, truly honestly believe that they're as you go through life, you're only, only supposed to feel one emotion and that is happy. Yeah. And that if you feel anything other than happiness, then either you're broken or it's someone else's fault and things are wrong and I got to fix it immediately. And so to be able to acknowledge like, uh, yeah, no, that's, you know, the world doesn't live in summer all of the time. Right. There, there's different seasons and that's the way, not only does your life work, but your relationships work. And even on a day-to-day basis, you can have a summer, spring and winter over the course of a 24 hour period. Yeah. And with them- interactions with my kids, Travis, I might go through all five seasons in half an hour. You know? <laughs> I mean, we might well, you do have teenagers. All- so, I do have I teenagers mean- <laughs> and three of them. <laughs> Time is sped up in the teenage years. Yeah. No, Cycles go much right. faster. Oh my gosh. Yes, totally. But I think I talk about that in the winter, you know, in the winter chapter is we don't want to be done with winter. We need it because sometimes things percolate just below the surface and either we're ashamed of it or we're embarrassed by it, or we don't fully consciously, you know, recognize it. And so we need sometimes winter to bubble up and clear the path right? We need winter to blow through and get rid of all of the debris that shouldn't have been there or to create opportunities for new negotiations, right? Or new compromises or a new set of boundaries within a relationship. Winter has a purpose. The problem is when you're in winter and you literally can't get out of it and you're stuck there for, you know, days or weeks or months. I mean, I had a client who really on the assessment, she felt like she had been in winter with her husband for six and a half years. And I was like, okay, so, you know, do you want to leave winter? Because at some point it just becomes your normal, right? You don't actually remember there's life outside of winter when you've been in it that long and that deep. And I mean, they ended up needing therapy to get through some of their things and rightfully so. I'm not a therapist, but I think creating the opportunity to have people recognize and take responsibility for where they are and what they want. Some people love to stay in winter, right? They just, they're like, I'm a victim and my life sucks and everyone is against me and the storm, I have no control. I'm just here. I'm just, I'm barely hanging on. And I'm like, okay, when you're ready to leave, let me know. Oh no, it's not that easy. Oh no, but it is right. Spring cleaning can happen in multitude of ways. And even one change can also, you know, change the trajectory of your life. So let me know when you're ready to spring clean. We'll get in there. We'll get dirty. We'll get messy. And yeah, we'll make it happen. Are you familiar with the book called Generations or the fourth turning by uh, 
William Strauss and Neil Howe? I'm not. So Generations was written in, the, in 1991. And essentially what they've done is gone back over 500 years and they identified that over the course of history, there's really only four patterns and they repeat over and over and over again. Really? And they call them fourth turnings. Yeah. But essentially, it's just like the seasons. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. Yeah. And what's very fascinating about this conversation with what you're talking about, how winter is a necessary thing, because after winter is spring and you have spring cleaning. So in their book, they talk about how these cycles repeat. And when you get into the fourth turning, it's essentially winter because that turning, it's when the systems, the, the dysfunctional systems that have been in place for the previous three you know, cycles, mm -hmm. essentially a hundred yeah. years, they start to break down and fall apart. Mm -hmm. And so you get a lot of civil unrest, you get a lot of world chaos, you get a lot of financial uncertainty and, and things get to be pretty not great. And so just to give you an example, the, there was the last time there was a, there was a fourth turning, there was the revolutionary war. Mm -hmm. The next time there was a fourth turning, it was the civil war. The next time there was a fourth turning, it was the great depression in world war II. Oh my God, and now we're in a chills. fourth turn. <laughs> And we're in a fourth turning right now. And I have this conversation with my wife where she asks, you know, are, are you worried about the future? And I, and part of me is just like everyone else. You see the things going on in TV and, and you're disgusted and you're outraged and you could descend into a lot of fear. But I also realized that according to Strauss and Howe on these cycles, we're, we're on the latter half of this fourth cycle and what comes next. Oh, that's and when you look in American history, look at the time frame after World War II, starting 1945-46. Mm. In terms of like collectively, I you know not getting into the the all of the racial inequalities mm. that was going on, but as as in terms of hope and optimism and peace and prosperity, and uh, you know the 1945 to 1965-1970 was a was a pretty insane time in terms of just how much the country progressed. And so I kind of look at that going, well, that's what's coming for us. Yeah. You know, yeah, we're going through these things right now. And yeah, it's scary. And, and yeah, it's frustrating. And, and yeah, it, it, it's, you know, it, it's uh, maddening in a lot of ways. Totally. And we know that there's something so much better coming down the road. And so I just, from a, sort of a bigger picture, I love the fact that you've figured this out and sh are showing how that this applies in our own lives. And so anyway, I thought, thought I would share it. If you haven't checked out the book, The Four no, Turnings. No, I'm it's totally a, writing that down. That's fascinating. I now need to read that. That is, yeah, you know, they knock over the big tile stack beside my bed and go get that book now. They uh, they went so far as to call their, their subtitle was an American prophecy. And in their book, they said, we're so confident in our theories that we're going to predict the years of when these things are going to start happening. And they were almost spot on. Oh my, okay. Yeah. I'm getting that book. I need to read it right now. Anyway, that's neither here yeah, nor totally there to right. our yeah. conversation, but no, but it is right. I mean, it's cyclical. Everything has, you know, like you cannot have rebirth and renewal without kind of that deep freeze and, you know, the, the reckoning. Right. And I think as a nation, I mean, I'm Canadian, so it's an interesting perspective um, to look at American politics being in America as a Canadian, because I have a whole different set of values that I grew up with. Um, but there's a reckoning happening, right? And for some people, they're like, wow, is this winter? And I'm like, mm, we're not there yet. You know, like we're definitely not in the deepest, darkest part of winter that's still, you know, evolving because uh, we haven't started the spring cleaning yet, 
right? We're still finding all the cobwebs in the corner. We're still pulling yeah. up all the old stuff and, and, you know, shaking it out and putting dust in the air. So um, it is very cyclical, you know, and it goes right down into our own personal relationships with ourself. So from our own, like our own small personal experience all the way to a global experience, um, we can see these cycles. So I, I love that you brought that up. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. So you've taken this experience that for most people would, would I think they would have dealt with it in an entirely different way. And you've written some books. And then along the way, you've managed to turn these books into uh, a fairly significant brand called the, the Five Seasons Life. You now have a website, fiveseasonslife.com. And on there, you have books, you have courses, you have memberships, you have one-on-one -on -one coaching. So how did all of that manifest out of these books? Because you, this isn't a path that you purposely chose. It found <laughs> you and originally started off with just a yeah. book. And yet now here you are down the road, you're speaking, you're coaching, and you've got all of these things. So where, how can let's talk about how that sort of evolved out of this, the, the process of yeah, your writing. Absolutely. So, I mean, as much as I want to think that I had, you know, full control of the driver's seat, I was driving through my life. It didn't happen that way. I started talking, you know, doing Facebook lives about the five seasons and people started to get to know me locally because I would speak at various events here. And inevitably somebody would come up and whisper and say, you know, I'm not a very good mom or I'm really failing in my business. And I would, you know, of course I jump in with my heart saying, oh my gosh, don't say that. Like, let's look for the evidence that that's not true. You know, that's your fear telling you, let's break this down. And so it really just happened organically of, you know, creating space for people to find their truth. And when the first book was coming out, I really felt called to kind of take the temperature of people around me. And so I put this video up on Facebook and I said, look, for 50 days, for the next 50 days, I will help 50 women do anything they need at all. So if you're local to me, I will come to your house and we will do things. And if you're not local to me, we will do things online. And I had 76 women at the end of it. And we did everything from cooking and cleaning and, you know, decluttering and shopping, you know, internationally, we did similar things, you know, just kind of, you know, I edited somebody's closet in Australia, for example, right? So and the, but the core of it all was, please hear me, right? Please see me, please, you know, can anybody, is anybody out there paying attention to me? People were just feeling so disconnected in their lives and in their, in their own experiences. And to have some stranger show up for an hour and see them and witness them and hear them and, you know, perhaps brainstorm some solutions, they just loved it. And I thought, oh my gosh, like, I don't bring anything special to this space. And that was before social media was even a big I know, thing, man. I know, before Corona, before all of it, this was, you know, a number of years ago. And I just thought, oh, Lordy, Lordy, this just found me. And I don't know why I put up a video, you know, to help 50 women in 50 days. Like it just, it just came to me, like the book came to me. And I very much follow my intuition and my guidance on those types of things. So I put it up, I helped to many people do many different things. And from there, it was born like just my mission of helping people develop their spring cleaning strategies is really kind of what I am supposed to do. 
So yes, terrible things happen, you know, cancer happens and bankruptcy happens and betrayal happens. Yes, it does. And I'm so sorry for that. And we're going to clear up. We're going to see what's left. We're going to rebuild. What, what do we need to get you where you want to go? Um, don't stay where you are. And that really just became, you know, my mantra of where do you want to go? Let's get you there. And so this coaching experience just came out of that. And in a professional setting, I mean, I've worked in marketing and messaging, you know, for 20 years in Silicon Valley and in Canada. Um, I've launched products. I've run, you know, multi-million dollar business organizations. So I'm not coming at this with no, you know, kind of no street cred, but um, it's definitely this feeling of, I have been given this life. I have been given this five seasons philosophy and my mission is to walk through this life as long as I can, as far as I can go and, you know, sprinkle the idea that summer is within reach. So what do we need to do to get there? And just this morning, I was invited to speak at a conference in Uganda. And I just think the power of social media is breathtaking. You know, this woman found me, she had seen something I had done. She invited me to her conference. I mean, I would have loved to have gone to Uganda, don't get me wrong, but um, just to be able to, you know, to be in a space where people, you know, have never heard of me, will probably never hear of me again. But for that moment, we connected on one small piece of my framework and they were crying, right? They were just moved to motion, right? And that's really what my life is, is what can we get you to do? What can we get you to feel that will fuel action because I'm not going to live forever. I mean, clearly I'm not going to live forever, but I, I don't want you thinking you have forever either. Right? Like if you want something, how do we, how do we get you closer? How do we get you moving? How do we get you, you know, momentuming in that direction? You don't have to get there in one day. It might be a huge goal, but please don't sit there and be sad any longer than you need to be like that. Just to me, that just really weighs heavily on my heart. So the coaching really grew out of these kinds of experiences of, you know, talking with women and, and speaking on Facebook and putting up videos in various places. And then more and more people just, you know, they want a piece of what this looks like for their own life. So I'm just, I'm totally grateful for the whole thing, but um, it makes me sad on the other side, you know, that there's so many people hurting. I, and I, I'm right there with you. I, I, completely understand. So you now have three books. You have the five seasons of connection to your child, mm-hmm. five seasons of connection to your business brilliance, five seasons of connection to your love partner. So am right. I sensing that there's there's going to be two more books to complete okay. out our, our number five? You know, there has to be. So the next one coming <laughs> out will be um, the five seasons of connection to yourself. Oh, wow. And then the book after that, is going to be the five seasons of connection kind of to the universe. I don't know if it will be called universe, but it really is our, you know, and this virus. It's the five seasons of connection to the capital letters connection. To the connection. Yeah, I love it. Oh my God, that is so good. Because I mean, we're seeing that this year, right? Something that happened in some small place in some small village in another, you know, has paralyzed the entire planet. We are deeply connected and things that we see and things that we don't see impact us in such a profound way. And 
you know, I pay attention to energy because, you know, I have to check my energy when I'm up, you know, or if my brain is acting up and my energy is a little bit low, I regulate that. And so I pay attention to other people's energy and we really can keep raising, you know, kind of the vibration of the people around us by being who we really are and being authentic. And that doesn't mean always this fake state of summer. Like it is absolutely not about, like you had mentioned this, you know, the generation of, you know, kind of happiness on steroids. That is such a great topic. The fake state of summer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's not about that. It is like, can I be real and be upset? Can I rage and be angry and feel betrayed and still be true to who I am and then take action out of that space to turn that, pain into, you know, purpose. So I think beyond that too, of also having a society that allows that to happen. Yeah. And, and I I have a book coming out in about a month called 30 days unplugged. And a lot of it delves into the step back that Mm. social media has created, which is the fact that everyone's so focused on being perfect that no one's allowing anyone, any sort of evolution. And and the example I use in my book was uh, Kevin Hart. Yeah. You know, his, his live stream was to host the Academy Awards and then he got there and then somebody dug up a tweet from 12 years ago yeah. going, oh my God, you're a horrible person. And, and, you know, and he was like, I was 20 freaking two yeah. when I made that comment. It was a joke. And you'll notice I've never made any jokes about that because if I've gotten older and I've evolved, I've learned that that was wrong. And they're like, nope, right. you said it once. You can never change or that way forever. Right. And I'm just like, man, like, no, like, this is a good, like, it's so antithetical to uh, the human experience. I mean, Mm. even getting now to the point where like saying that, you know, somebody uh, when you're 13 years old or 14 years old and you hit puberty and your body's just flooded with, with hormones to the point where your brain literally is scrambled. Yes. You know, you're 45 years old and somebody's like, oh man, on Facebook, you made this post when you were 13 about a certain people. And yeah. therefore you're a horrible, racist, awful person. And you can never have any job ever again. It's like, uh, that was 30 years ago when I was a teenager. No, that's it. I'm like, that's, that's one of the things that is driving me crazy about society right now. Talking about being in the fourth turning winter. Yeah. That, no, that well, is, that is a cobweb we need to yeah. shake out of the trees. <laughs> it totally is. Right. And that, but I think it's what keeps people safe, right? Saying, oh, I know what you are. I know who you are. And I'm going to put you in this box and stick a big fat label on it. So you don't, you know, you don't threaten me or scare me, or you don't be behaving in an unpredictable way and kind of shake my world. And I just, I think that's really born out of fear. right? That we have to keep compartmentalizing people to the point that they can't evolve. And I'm just so grateful. I mean, I don't know about you, Travis, I came to social media a little bit later in my life, and I did not have it growing up, thank goodness. And I look at my kids thinking, oh, man, I am so grateful some of my crazy antics were not captured, because I probably would not have the life I have if, you know, if my dirty laundry was aired. I, I was bullied a lot when I was a kid and especially in high school. And so I was very, very angry in my, oh. in my, as a teenager and in, in, in a good part of my twenties. And I, the same thing, I think about that. I was like, man, if, if even one tenth of the, my rage episodes had ever been photographed, like, yeah, like that's, Right. It would be would be devastating. And at the same time, I learned from that and I've grown to the point where I I have people now that have known me for decades. They're like, come on, you don't have a temper. And I was just like, well, you you haven't seen me alone in my office when, uh, you know, click funnels isn't working. Um, 
<laughs> nothing <laughs> takes me from nice guy Travis to Hulk smash faster than uh, some sort of website that doesn't do what I think it's supposed to. But you think about that, it's just like I, I always I always thought, man, how fun would it be to do a TV show where you just follow someone for 24 hours mm. and get them comfortable to the point where they forget you're there and then yeah. show them what we can do with a little bit of editing. Mm-hmm. How anyone in today's world could be made to look like a monster with clever editing and, you know, and that's, I, I guess, my whole point of all of this is eventually we need to get back to some port, some point of sanity. Like, so yeah. in, in the book I have coming out, one of the things I proposed was a, uh, a, a societal do-over system mm-hmm. where as a society, we acknowledge and agree that pretty much anything you say before the year, the age of 18, mm-hmm. like. it's just sort of wiped clear when you turn 18. It's like, we don't, it's not something we can go dredge up years later. Right. And then in your twenties, you get two do-overs. Yeah. So like Kevin Hart, Kevin Hart tweets out something that could be bigoted, realizes it, apologizes it. Cool. Do-over. We can't ever bring that up again. Right. And so, because I think by the time you're in your mid thirties, like by then you should have a pretty good handle on, you know, how to treat people, but teenagers and twenties, like, come on, who knows what's going on until you're, you're, you're spend four years with your parents pretty much taking care of everything for you. And then you're sort of kicked out into the world. And for the next 12 years, everyone's like, who are you? What do you want to be? What do you want to do when you grow up? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Just leave me alone. Yeah. I've got two of them in my house and I would even argue that 18 feels a little young for them to only, you know, I think it really needs to be 20 because we should make it voting the age of drinking until you can legally drink. You can't, uh, you know, 21. So, but yeah, yeah, it's, and the thing is, is like how many kids now, so uh, I was dating someone at one time and she had a teenage daughter. That's funny. I said, I was dating someone one time. Like I've never (laughs) dated anyone before. Um, but, but her, her, one of her children was a teenager and it was, would never get on the phone to make a real conversation. It was always texting. And I was asking mm. why that was. And the response was, well, I, I can't possibly talk to someone in real time because I might say something that I shouldn't and I either offend them or embarrass myself. So when it's texting, the whole point of it was every single text was like carefully plotted and strategically thought out before they replied. Yeah. And I thought, man, what a stifling way to live life. Right. Especially if you want to try to be an artist. Yeah. That's just crazy to me. Anyway, I feel like we veered off topic here (laughs) a little bit, but um, do you have a time frame for when your next two books are are, are planning to uh, unveil themselves or do you have a ritual? You you got to go into to some place where there's sunshine and not the rainy (laughs) Seattle skies so, so you can have some insight. Yeah. Well, when it's raining, I can't go out. So it's actually better for my writing because I'm (laughs) forced to stay inside and, you know, not dream about sunnier days. But um, I mean, next year I turn 50. And to me, when I was given the diagnosis in 2006, 50 was forever, right? Mm. I was not supposed to make it past 40. And so to me, 50 really just, I mean, first of all, it's terrifying. Like I've always said, 50 countries before 50. I'm going to do all these things before I turn 50. And next year I turn 50. So I'm just wondering if, you know, the day after my birthday, I just croak, but um, I'm hoping not. But so I think next year, one of them will come out. And I, I think I just need a little bit of time to get to know myself again, right? Because like we talked about, even though we veered a little bit, who we were at 18, 21, 35, 42, 
is not who we are today. And even through this experience of Corona, I mean, I'm not who I was in January, yeah. right? Like I have changed. My relationships have all changed. My relationships with my friends and my business has changed. So I think the five seasons of connection to myself, like for yourself, whatever, um, I think it just needs a little bit of time to kind of percolate in the back of my brain about what do I want to say about forgiving yourself, you know, and giving yourself the grace and space to, to grow and evolve and to try things and to take risks. And I'm definitely taking more risks now than I would have when I was 25, right? Mm. Partly because I'm older and I'm like, who cares? Like how, <laughs> you know, who's going to stop me? I'm 50 years old, right? And um, so there is that kind of midlife, you know, kind of robustness that happens. But it also just is like this gentleness of, yeah, you've made mistakes and and they were teaching you something and they were opportunities for you to grow and forgive and, you know, to reach out and apologize or to make it better and, you know, to, to have your own reckoning. And, and so I think I just need to sit with a little bit of that. But once the idea comes to write, I will literally sit down and just pour it out over a couple of weeks and it will be done. If only you had a formula to follow. Probably so much easier. <laughs> Well, there was um, there was a celeb. I'm it's some celebrity, and me coming out of Hollywood, I should be disgusted that I don't remember the person's I name, know. so I can't quote them. But the quote they it was a famous actor, and I thought his statement was brilliant. Where he 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 had just turned, I think it was fifty, and they were asking him, "Oh my God, you're fifty how And he's like, "You know, the great thing about turning fifty is is that you finally give yourself permission to truly be who you should have been your entire life." Oh, and I was like, you know, that's kind of true, because I think especially at least for me in my 20s, I was very insecure. And so I even though I knew who I was, I didn't feel like that was good enough. And so I was always trying to be something else. Well, if you were bullied, then you were, you know, when you thought you were being yourself, you were punished for it in some way. Yeah, no, that's right? so you didn't. Well, way to just drag in a psychological insight that I didn't <laughs> know. Damn you. Now I'm going to be thinking about that for weeks. I never You're had that realization. I didn't know that I was having psychotherapy on my call today. I thought so that I was having a conversation. Would you have worn a different shirt? Perhaps? That is like the deepest statement someone has said to me in years. Well, it's like you do this for a living or something. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you crack me up. Yes, I, right. So I hear you. And that quote is profound in so many ways, right? And I think that's why Brene Brown has taken such a hold of the, you know, the American consciousness, if not the world consciousness, because it is about getting vulnerable with who you are and then being brave to show up as that person. And, you know, as much as we say we want to, you know, wave our freak flag and, you know, kind of show up in our true colors we are social creatures hardwired to be part of the tribe, to be part of the pack. And we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to get kicked out, you know, because being isolated from the pack meant we were vulnerable to predators and, you know, we would starve to death. So this is biologically hardwired way deeper than my decision to be my own, you know, march to my own drum. So when you get to a certain age and for everyone, it's different. It really just becomes, who am I trying to impress? Who am I trying to be included with? You know, who am I trying to stay connected to? And is that a true connection, right? If it's your love partner of 24 years, chances are they're not going to reject you if you, you know, be more of who you're supposed to be, of who you want to be. 
But yeah, if it's a colleague that you know just in a superficial way, they might kind of pull back if you show up as your true and authentic self. But it really is the time to, you know, in this social distancing time to actually not socially distance, but, you know, kind of energetically connect, even if we physically can't be together, because we have to take care of each other, right? We have to take care of each other in, in a multitude of emotional ways. And that takes a lot of courage, mm. right? So I'm just, I'm loving that your book is coming out next you know, month. I'm totally um, looking for it because just, you know, disconnecting from, from social media is like, but wait a minute, that's where my people are. Well, can you pick up the phone, right? Can you, you know, can you find other Talk ways? Can you write a longhand ah. letter? <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember um, when I was 27, I had a chance to interview my 95 year old grandmother. And I was, I was videoing it cause I was using it to kind of build a little documentary on her life. And I, you know, at the time when you're 27, it's like legacy. I want to leave my legacy and yeah. people to know who I was. And I go to all these things and what do people say about me when I die? And so that was very important. And so I asked my grandmother a question, like, you know, what do you hope people say about you when you die? And now to that point in my life, I, I was in Hall, I'd been in Hollywood about four or five years at that point in time. So everybody was like, oh, well, when I die, you know, how people say this, now people say this. Yeah. And so I was expecting this profound thing. I'm 95 years old. <laughs> my grandmother's just like, I could give a damn what anyone says or thinks about me. And I was like, it was as a 27 year old, I was so shocked. I was like, what, what, what do you mean? Like, how can right. you, how can you not care what people yeah. think about you? And my grandmother was like, ah, screw, screw everybody. I've had a great life and I enjoy myself. So I could, don't even care. And, uh. Uh, you know, I, I've had this conversation with, with people before, but I, I talk about, so I do a lot in marketing and I talk about the power of being authentic in, in today's world. And so we have all, all these conversations and, and the point that I always bring in is I'm like, you know, love him or hate him. You cannot argue that Donald Trump is 100% authentically himself. Right. And I, and I say, and I'm like, you know, I have, I, I feel that that is the reason why he became president in the first place, because people were so decades of politicians playing the political game of being mm. saying whatever they need to be. And some guy just came along and was like, I could give a damn what anyone says about me. Right. And I, and I, one of my friends was like, yeah, but he should care. And I was like, why? And he's like, well, look at all these people that hate him. And I was like, well, let's just, let's just look at the worst case scenario for Donald Trump. <laughs> he gets impeached and he gets kicked out of office and he goes back to his billions of dollars. Yeah. I'm like, there's no scenario that doesn't end with him going back to a billion dollar lifestyle. I'm like, so why does he like, and, and you see that in a way. And again, you know, I'm not condoning the guy at all, but as, as from a marketing standpoint and as from sort of like a truth serum standpoint, I look at it going, what, what's the power of being absolutely yourself without really worrying about what others are saying. And I was like, well, I, I guess that that's kind of a, you know, a, a very aggressive in our face example right now. But um, it is a level of freedom that I think most people look towards and think, oh my gosh, I wish I had that kind of courage. I, I wish I could say I whatever I wanted and people yeah. would rage against me and just laugh at them and be like, ah, right? I got you going. <laughs> <laughs> you sometimes yeah. wonder if Donald Trump is sitting there late at night going, hey, people aren't talking about me. Hmm. And then yeah. he's like, pulls out the phone and he's like, I've got to tweet something controversial yeah. right now. And then he sits <laughs> back and he watches the, t did you, did you ever see the Simpsons? Yes, yes, yes. You know what? I have been forever since I've seen it, but the old guy where he would sit behind his desk and do the little thing with his fingers. And he's like, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. I sometimes wonder like Trump sends out a tweet and then turns on CNN and he's like, yes, <laughs> yes, it's trending. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you sometimes wonder because some of the stuff he says is just so out there that you're like, I wonder if he's just doing that to get a rise out of people. But yeah. Um, anyway, not to not to derail on Trump, but my God, he's taken over our lives so much. He even insinuates himself in our conversation about books. <laughs> I know, I know. Isn't that the truth? Oh my God. Well, Leanne, and, and none someone... of the books have even slowed him down, right? Like no. all of the people releasing their books about him has not changed anything. So I, I have a good friend who's uh, Irish. Oh. And we had a conversation where he was like, you know, obviously it doesn't impact me really, but I watch these things. And he's like, this Trump fellow, my God, he's like, he's like Teflon. All these things come at him and they bounce right off. Nothing sticks. He's like, who is this guy? How does he do this? Yeah. <laughs> he's gone through like so many scandals that any one of which would have derailed like a 40 year old politician a, a, a politician of a 40 year old career and yeah he's, he's had one I, I, dozens dozens yeah. one a week almost and it just it, it seems that way so yeah anyway. no i definitely tell my kids pay attention they will be you know people will be studying this this person this experience this time for the next 500 years decades yeah decades. We are gonna you're right hundreds of years most likely year. Yeah, it's that profound. Even 500 years after he's dead, people are still going to be talking about him. Yeah, oh, that's crazy. Well, Leanne, thank you so much for for being here today. This has been one of the most entertaining conversations I've had in a long time, and enlightening. Thank you for the the the, the psychological truth bombs I now have to go consider in my own life. If people want to, obviously, you've got your books they're on Amazon, but if they wanted to work with you more directly or, or take one of your courses or learn more about you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. I mean, I'm on Facebook, Leanne Cabot, and um, my website is the five, no, the www.fiveseasonslife.com number five. So they can find me there and I would be honored to help anyone through any of their seasons. It would be great. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you again. Good luck. And I look forward to thank your you. next books. I look forward to yours. Thank you. Hey, it's Travis Cody. Thanks for listening to The Just Right Show, and I want to make sure you're plugged into everything we've got going on. Go to traviscody.com forward slash show and join the email list so you can get notified when new episodes come out. Plus, you can find links to the transcripts of every episode we've done in the past. You can also grab a free copy of my best-selling books that share even more details on how you can up-level your own writing skills. Finally, if you enjoyed the show, I'd consider it a personal favor if you'll leave me a review on iTunes and Spotify. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode.